0: Hey, welcome to Practical Multiplication with Myron Pierce and Ralph Moore. Only today Myron's on vacation, and I brought my really, really good longtime friend, Norman Nakanishi. Norman's like the kind of the center of church multiplication in Hawaii, at least philosophically and besides the (laughs) stuff he's doing. And uh, we've been friends for a long, long time. And then today we get to interview Parker Green and uh, I've just come to know Parker within the last year, but I'm very impressed with what he's doing. Salt Churches is an intentional church network, and it's growing. It's exciting. Uh, so, Myron, uh, Myron Norman, uh, welcome, everybody. Introduce yourself. Tell a little bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, well, I um, pastor a church. Now it's, going, uh, it's about 26 and a half years old, planted and founded in 1994 under... Ralph Moore's uh, mentorship, I might add, uh, that was significant. And so now we're a church that plants churches, and we want to plant as many churches as we can in the next decade in particular. We've got three in the hopper now, and so we're excited about that. So we're in paradise, and so that's why I want to show you a screen. Uh, I'm sorry that I don't have the green thing in the back of me that, you know, creates the perfect uh, vision, but because Ralph was a surfer, And Parker, you look like a surfer. Uh, (laughs) I just thought we needed to have beach rather than boring bedrooms in the back. Somebody's got to have some color here. So I'm really pleased to be here. And uh, I I do believe planting level five churches, churches that plant churches, that plant churches, that the continual evolution and perpetuation of church planting is history. And it's the way to go. And I've been friends with Ralph forever.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we met when, when Norman was about to make a huge mistake in joining a denomination and getting all wrapped up in, <laughs> in somebody else's church. And he went out and planted good things have happened. But we got Parker Green with us. And uh, I have a little history with Parker that I just want to share. Uh, when his dad was one of the first members of, of Hope Chapel in well, Manhattan Beach Boulevard in the wow. early, early, early days. And then uh, this really beautiful young woman attends our church, and and Bob scoops her up, and uh, one thing leads to another. But she was my secretary. She's like 19 years old. We had very little money. I think she worked maybe 15 hours a week or something like that. But they um, they they they've produced some wonderful ministry through their lives and some wonderful children, and uh, so it's really kind of a, an exciting thing for me to have a, a budding relationship with Parker. Uh, Parker has has worked at Hillsong. He went to Bible school there, worked there a little bit, interned there. Has kind of perhaps had to unlearn some things because what he's doing is almost the antithesis of what we see in in the mega church model that you know works so well for some. So Parker, kind of just you know introduce yourself, fill us in a little bit on your journey. Take a little time with. You know, go back to maybe, you know, how, what got you to go to Hillsong in the first place and then take us through there and and, and, and move us to where you are now.
2: Yeah. Um, so about 18 years old, um, just felt called into ministry. And um, my sister and brother-in-law uh, lived and worked at Hillsong um, in Australia um, at the city campus out there. And um, I got a academic scholarship to a state university out here. Um, got a check in the mail and then felt the Lord was telling me not to do that and moved to Australia. So I returned, returned a check and <laughs> moved to Australia, which for me was a big sacrifice at the time. I had no idea. Um, it was nothing, but um, it felt like, like a big sacrifice um, and moved to Australia for three years, interned with the youth ministry there um, in junior high ministry, mopped floors, um, painted walls probably every week in the most overused building of all time. Um, just constantly, constantly painting. I remember Hillsong Blue like it's, um, <laughs> like it's a part of me now. I breathed it for so long. Um, and um, really, um, there learned how to make disciples, I think, more than anything else. The Bible college experience was cool. Living at the beach was amazing. <laughs> um, but if you're going to work in junior high ministry, um, you have to make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to spend time with the kids. You have to be around them. Um, The youth leader that wins is the one that loves the most, right? So you hear that all the time. So really learned um, a lot, um, learned what I liked, learned what I didn't like about uh, about established uh, legacy church culture at the time, Um, and then moved back to the United States after that. And kind of like I floated, I was doing junior high ministry, but um, I was also transporting kids. With drug addiction problems, kids that were gangbanging, stuff like that. I was transporting them. I'd be the guy that woke them up in the middle of the night and said, Surprise, you're going to rehab. Um, And then drove them across country to um, rehabs all over the country. So Utah, Pennsylvania, Montana, Wyoming. Um, And that was like, that was exciting um, until I got a knife pulled on me. And I was like, you know what, getting paid $12. An hour to, you know, maybe get stabbed by some 13 year old kids. Probably not, you know, the best line of work for me right now. Um, And continued in youth ministry. And then my brother in law had moved out to, um, Paul Andrew had moved out to New York and offered me a job in New York City um, as a campus pastor um, at one of their younger campuses um, in Union Square in Manhattan. Um, And I kind of just hit the ground running with a lot of excited poor college students the thing was completely underwater and broken in a number of ways and I think that's why I got called up um, to the big league so to speak um, and within a, within two months I'd met my wife um, Jessie she's a native New Yorker um, and she grew up in Huntington Long Island and she'd been in Manhattan for years got radically saved did something called the world race so went around the world for a year um, so she was born into missions. So really her whole mindset was missions. She didn't understand the church in the United States, um, really how it functioned or what was going on. Um, it made her kind of sleepy. She just wanted to be outside reaching people. Um, and then um, <clears throat> really got engaged by May. I think we met in October, November, engaged in May, married in September. So all within just under a year. Wow. Um, so, and so we were in ministry together, so to speak, and learning learning the ropes together and uh, was ended up being in New York for about four years, um, running another campus in the Upper West Side um, while Jesse and I ran the Union Square campus together. We did small group stuff ran small groups, set up small groups, uh, did the men's ministry thing, which was tons of fun. She was running the worship team with zero experience singing or anything. They just wanted leadership running it. So we were just kind of like, we were ingratiated in a church startup. Um, and really it, uh, that church operated more like a parish model of, of church while I was there. Um, it could have changed since I've been gone for four years, but um, really it was like a parish model. So I'd gone from mega and aiming for mega to like a parish model church where, you know, people, right. But you're not necessarily hands-on um, making disciples. How I would think of it was Jesus walking around with the 12. Um, and then really in New York, what ended up ruining everything was I fasted and prayed at the beginning of 2016 for 21 days. And my wife, Jesse went on a, a trip and <laughs> about 10 or 11 days, she was gone. She came back. She was shocked at my appearance, first of all. And I stink, I'm like a stinker when I fast, like, I smell real bad. We're changing the sheets every couple of days. Um, but she walks in the door and she goes, Is God talking to you about California? And about 10 days into my fast, he would not, he was relentless about California. You need to go to California, you need it. And then, um, got into some books by Dallas Willard. Um, A friend from a missions organization um, started uh, mentoring us, started talking to us about discipleship from a missions perspective um, and just really felt personally dissatisfied with um, preaching every Sunday or for me being a a kind of ended up being a glorified event planner to a degree um, where I'm like, we need to make disciples. And in a pagan city like New York, it's so important um, that the fundamentals are the fundamentals because you know you have people coming in and they're like great message Parker and then they go do like an eight ball of cocaine on the weekend and are living with their girlfriend so it's like that I guess it wasn't a great message <laughs> you know what I mean so you've really gotta you gotta be in people's lives um, and so for us um, what that looked like is uh, leaning towards the micro church model i was like how's how do people really learn how to function in life how do they really learn how to walk this life out how do they learn how to be with jesus how do they learn how to follow him practice spiritual disciplines how do their habits form around him How does their actual life form around him and how do we just how do we not aim for um just making people good at church um, so the best way that i could think of was family Um, So how do we create and multiply families with strong parental leadership, biblical leadership? Because a lot of house church models, and maybe we'll get into this at some point, where they go awry is they don't have biblical eldership. They don't have biblical leadership. And it's like everyone's just mad at the church somehow. And then you get 20 mad people that are just going to split again. And then you have a church of three or four people. And it's like, that's why we called it micro churches. And I know other people have used it before. Um, like places like Tampa underground and stuff like that. But m- the reality for us was we didn't want the house church name over the top of it because it becomes such a-, a misnomer for people that are angry at the church and <laughs> show up. We're not mad at the church. Um, we just think there's a new way to do it for a, a new generation. That's the old way again. Um, so we ended up, uh, moving out to California, uh, end of 2016, it moved a lot faster than we expected. Um, I was paid really well um, for, for the line of work that I was in. We'd just gotten a raise, just gotten health insurance, just gotten Jesse pregnant um, and got to move. So we move out to California with a two-month-old. I drive out with my old man in our Jeep um, that God miraculously provided for us with as much as we could pack in there. My dog almost died on the way over because it's a little Shiba Inu. She climbed in the back to nuzzle in and open the back window going 75 miles an hour (laughs) and reach back and grab her. Um, My wife would have killed me. Um, But we got across the country, had some great time with my dad as well. um, And then started a church in our home in January, 2017, our first um, attempt at, at micro church planting. So, I, I mean, I know that even that's truncated, um, the story but everything has been based on a passion for discipleship and a passion to father and mother people in the faith um, really in a fatherless generation I think that's the number one issue we face and I think discipleship is the number one solution um, when it's when it's effective
0: you know hearing you talk um, your 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 road to where you are uh, the things you've probably had to unlearn along the way. It reminds me, I got an email just yesterday. A friend of mine in Florida wanted to introduce me to a guy who would like to plant a church in San Diego,
2: right.
0: where less than 2% of the people go to church. I don't know how many are Christians, but you know, when I went to Hawaii, 4% called themselves Christians. That, that wasn't church attendance. And so let's just say that... Um, 10% of San Diego are Christians and somebody advises this guy don't don't go to San Diego there's too many church plants there right now that that would assume that i think that, that the guy is thinking in terms of well go there and cop a bunch of christians from other churches dismantle the church that exists so you can start a new one that seems to be the model you know we're we're really big on church multiplication but Everybody wants to go and pirate people from other churches to get started. You, you've done something entirely different. And uh, yeah. talk us through that a little bit, and how it works. And Norman, yeah. feel free to jump in here.
2: I'd say, we have, I'd say we have a 50-50 mix with people that have jumped in, um, disaffected with faith, or um, you know, have been looking for a microchurch model for a while. But I'd say the other half, um, a lot. Um, of them are um, brand new believers, people that we've baptized in the church. Um, And part of that has been that reaching people and reaching lost people has been the center of the mission. I think one of the biggest uh, philosophical points, I guess, for us is you don't get the community you want by aiming for community you get it, you get it on mission. You get it through shared suffering. You get it through difficulty. You get it through sharing with each other. You get it through time spent, um, on mission together. Um, and a lot of these, uh, one of the biggest things that I run into, I get emails all the time. Hey, we want to start assault. We want to start assault and about half of them. I should probably tell like, Hey, just start being a good Christian first. And then we'll, we'll (laughs) we'll talk about running a church. Um, but really they want, they're like, we really enjoy the community. It's like, well, then you haven't had it before (laughs) because if you've ever lived in a family, you really love them. Um, and there's enjoyable seasons, but it's, you have to walk through all the seasons together. And I, I knew we had a church when I looked around the room and I had personally offended every single person in the room and they hadn't left. (laughs) That was kind of like my bar for all right. Well, we've got something now, <laughs> so we can move forward. Um, so really, really, um, and from my wife's perspective too, being born into the missions missions field—that's where she was born again. Really, we've always been missions oriented. Um, I've been more ecclesiology, like ecclesiological focused. I've been more discipleship focused, Reformation focused, um, and. Over the years, our marriage has kind of merged our gifts together, where we both have taken from each other and given to each other in a way that um, we kind of have both burning inside of us all the time. Um, and this last summer, we had a huge evangelistic outreach. I don't have a problem with a thousand people. Like We had 1,500 people at the beach this summer, um, which we got cited for, for public worship. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, and then, um, the case just got dismissed a week and a half ago. So I had some great, I had some great attorneys, but I think, um, and we baptized over a thousand people and multiple churches in the area over the summer, um, you know, LA times called it revival. We didn't call it revival. Mm -hmm. Um, And multiple churches in the area that stayed open and were bold and courageous multiplied like crazy. And even our church itself grew like crazy. So it was almost born, what was born out of this microchurch movement was this burning desire to reach more people. And so all we did was take a megaphone down to the beach and expected 200 of our good friends to show up. And then our best friend, Gavin Newsom, shut down the beaches. Um, And honestly, in that that period, I was like, thank God he did that because it made enough people frustrated that they showed up. Um, so, uh, it's, it's been an uh, amazing experience of of both, but I don't Mm -hmm. think, I don't think you can have that large gathering in its right context without the small. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think a lot of people have tried to reverse the funnel of discipleship. And said, let's get people in this big Mm -hmm. room and then try and funnel them into a class of discipleship or run them through a course. It's like discipleship is a life. Um, it's a lifestyle. It's doing life with people. It's an open door. It's an open fridge. So, um, we very rarely have seen people just switch churches to us. We've seen some leaders do that, but a lot of the folks that we, um, see come into our church either don't have a church that they're members of, Uh. um, and would be nominal Christians or are people that we've dunked in the water ourselves, um, and seen come to new life through the, the life of our church. So,
0: so tell us about the early, early, early days. How, how did you get started? Because oh, I mean, oh, someone oh, has terrible. Someone has left a a comment that you know they've seen a lot of churches planted, and they don't see people being pirated. Um, I, I I've seen a lot of churches planted, and I I see people come into town with big ads, big music deal, and basically who they attract are are, are Christians because. Non-Christians are not going to come to your Christian concert to, right. you know, here you get going. Um, what, what did you guys do? Because what you did is different. And then I'd, I'd like yeah. to uh, also get a little bit into uh, the progression of numbers, because everybody's got to be, you know, I don't like to get into numbers much, but everybody's got to be wondering, what's We're this guy really something. talking about here? <laughs>
2: yeah so uh, our first thing that we did was an old wineskin thing i guess you could say it's what we knew how to do we had an interest barbecue at our house tried to get a hold of everybody we could we had no money um so um and we weren't looking to support raise you know no at that point even four years ago people were like what a house church like why would you do that like you've been trained to do something completely different um we had about 50 60 people crowd into our little apartment in huntington beach First thing I said, I had to eat-my-flesh-and-drink-my-blood conversation on our first <laughs> <laughs> invite. So everyone sat down, everyone's happy, and they're, they're expecting to get, you know, wooed into our church. And I go, look, if you're a member of a different church, um, this isn't your church. If you're um, unwilling to make <laughs> disciples, then this, this isn't your church. And so the next week um, at our first gathering, we had, I think, seven people. Um, in our house. Um, and then we were running church in a way that was very, uh, it was like a crappy mega church, essentially. Um, we didn't really know how to flow with it. We didn't know really how to roll with it. Um, and it grew and shrank and grew and shrank and grew and shrank multiple times over that year. We multiplied one church and it failed. Um, we didn't do it right. We got in a hurry. Um, and then Um, kind of reassessed our lives and what was happening and really just had one night where a lot of things broke in the church where we just asked for the Holy spirit to show up and said, we don't want to do this anymore without his power. We don't want to do this anymore without his voice. We don't want to try just a different new man-made structure of doing this. We want, it was kind of like revival and reformation or bust. Um, And I think from that point, the church didn't grow explosively at that point. Um, but at least Jess and my heart had shifted enough into a place where I was like, I'm okay with leading and discipling these people for as long as possible. And success isn't another church planted. It's someone else doing it. I think my mindset set shifted from you know, having a bunch of people in my house and me being the center of the universe to trying to shift myself away from that center as much as I could. And that's a process then um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of hum- like humbling experiences, I would say because that's when you ask for humility, that tends to be how God teaches you. Um, he's like, I'm gonna show you what humility is by humbling you. <laughs> um, and really that's that's been the that I think that was a, a, a game changer for us. just asking Holy Spirit, like what do you want? We need your wind to blow essentially. We need you to come upon us for power. We need your life in us. We need to see signs and wonders. We need to see people's lives transformed. Um, And that's a a sovereign work of grace and a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. that we ask for and we plead for and we plead for people to join into it. But um, that's really when our church started, I think, culturally heading the right direction.
1: How do you see, Brooks, how do you see the pandemic, the pandemic's impact on SALT's efforts?
2: Um, our church has kind of gone steady as she goes, and it's actually multiplied our church exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see my little sign behind me. It'll give you an idea of what I think about <laughs> losing civil liberties, but that's not necessarily the point. The point isn't being robbed of civil liberties. The point is the church will thrive no matter what Peter yes. Yes. says. So for me, it was, um, it was really a decision point. Um, and we were literally, we literally had police in our home over the summer and I was prepared to go to jail for months to in my head. Cause I'd never, I've never been in trouble with the law. I ran a stop sign once at three in the morning for work. Um, you know what I mean? So for me, it was interesting having Huntington beach PD at my house in my backyard telling me if you don't stop doing this, there's a possibility you'll go to jail. Um, and writing inciting me on the point, on that spot and I was that's been the whole philosophy of our church it's like we can operate when it's good to operate we can operate when it's bad to operate we can operate when we're broke we can operate when we're, we're wealthy it doesn't make a difference mm-hmm. what what matters is that we're we're sharing the tenets of the gospel we're mm-hmm. sharing good doctrine with our people and we're telling them that the church is alive and well and that God is sovereign and able to grow his church in any environment in any situation Um, And there have been worse pandemics. There have been worse things that have happened to the church. And um, we may step into an era of suffering like that. But I think for us, it's been we wanted to create a church model that was sustainable if I got hit by a car or if the Mm -hmm. whole thing got broken apart, that the idea of what we were doing doing of disciple making multiplication would go on and the idea is the most most powerful thing the idea of the gospel the idea of multiplication Mm. and if you can if you can seed that correctly like jesus is asking us to do constantly in the gospels then then you can see that multiplication some soil sucks and some soil is good but you'll notice in that in that parable he carelessly throws the seed He's just making sure that the word of God is going out. And that's what we were making sure we were continuing to do. And from that, we've seen seen a lot of growth. And people, man, I don't know, a lot of churches closed. And I was like, sorry, but like, that doesn't make any sense to me. You're supposed to shepherd shepherd your people. Um, And even if your building was shut there has to be a way to continue to shepherd people. Like if you have no way to meet a building, if your, your, your use permit gets revoked by a city, there still has to be a way to guide people in the word and make disciples. Yeah. So yeah. for us, we were already set up for it in short. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That makes sense.
1: <laughs> Can I ask you a question that may cut to the core? Um, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned in the last several months? The last several months,
2: um, that you should listen to what Paul the Apostle wrote in 1 Timothy 3 about eldership, Um, and that putting good people in place to shepherd flocks, whether large or small, um, is the most important thing. That I can do as an apostolic leader, um, mm. if 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 I'm going to put people be put people in place, what I've done where we failed is I've put people in place because we had people to shepherd, but I didn't necessarily have the right shepherd for them, mm. um, and those churches over time eventually bear fruit that isn't in keeping with what we're trying to do. So we've had I think four or five multiplications fail. Um and it's always been because one of two things. The the husband and wife weren't on the same page that were leading it. You need a strong we found we need a strong male leader somewhere involved. Mm. Um, if the wife is stoked and the husband isn't, then you know I could I could count down the days until we were going to have a church that folded. Um, mm. I think single women have run churches better, but like having having a couple that's on the same page, is, it's kind of a nightmare. Um, and then um, if discipleship's not happening, it doesn't happen. It can't be a, church. it can't be a small group. It has to be a church. And I think walking people through church identity, Ephesians four and five acts to um, you know, 26 through 35 um, you know, walking them through what the church actually is um, is, has been really helpful. So my personal lesson is where I failed is I've, I've been impatient, extremely impatient and wanting to do the old way of growing fast. But instead, we're, we've been shifting and it's working to doing it slowly with people so that the church grows quickly. It's, it's weird. It's like smooth as fast, right? So we're, we're learning how to go slow with people, walk it out with people and realize that not everyone's at the same pace as Jess and I. Mm. that's a big thing. Like we're moving all the time. And for most folks, it's exhausting watching us. They're always telling us, don't you need to rest? And I'm like, yeah, that's in the calendar. Don't worry. Like right. we'll rest, but like, we're going to die soon. <laughs> so we need to be on top of it.
0: So Parker, I, there's questions about, you know, one person asking, how do you know if you're called to start, start a micro church Another one's asking, how do you get training for this? I want you to come back and uh, because what what you're describing isn't what people are idealizing a lot lately. Uh, You you said you didn't go try to raise support. Uh, You started in your living room, so you didn't have huge offering base. Did you did you have a job? What what did you do?
2: Um, My wife had a job. Um, you'll find that if you train your whole life to do ministry, you're pretty much useless at everything else in the business world. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Been there, done that. I, 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 was a, I was a personal trainer for a while um, just because I was be- becoming terrible to live with. So my wife sent me out and I'd done personal training before. So I went and did that. She's like, just get out of the house and get a job because you're driving me crazy. Um, but she was running a social media agency that was keeping us afloat. Um, and <clears throat> I I didn't have a job. So I had a church of about 10 people and I just like would pretend to work and get really frustrated and had a huge identity crisis our first year um, here. It was, um, I was not a pleasant person to, to live with, but um, a lot of people in my life were very patient and helpful um, in that time. So I think 30 is a good age to go through an identity crisis. If you're going to do it, you got plenty of time at the back end to make up for it. <laughs>
0: When I was 25, we started the first church, and uh, we basically started it off of our savings. We'd saved enough money for a down payment for our house, and two months later, it was gone. But that's when the Lord turned the money on. And uh, I would go to, because we had a little church building that somebody else had vacated, and I'd go down there and try to pray all day and fall asleep and hate myself. Uh, I, I remember those days but you said what you did about um, you know going slow but that speeds things up you've taken right. time to make disciples how, where are you now in terms of um, how, how many micro churches are out there mm-hmm. uh, and how many have failed along the way because I think those are important um, questions. right
2: now um, we have we have 10 established micro churches um, after four years of work. So we have 10 established micro churches with good, healthy leadership. Um, And then we have uh, one, two, about three in the pipeline right now, people getting situated where they are and getting them started. Um, And then um, we have discipleship down to the fourth and fifth generation at this point. So people that kind of know me, and Jess, but don't what it doesn't matter that whether they do or don't um and we have coaches that we've been discipling for three or four years that are now um helping our churches establish themselves with uh with church life and and stuff like that biblical church life so about 10 churches um we don't have a we don't have an exact number on how many people we have i guess you know in and out maybe a couple hundred um
0: so you're not doing you're not doing any
2: large public meetings, um, or, or are you doing that occasionally? We do something called an all salt, usually once a month. We don't always do them, but we'll have everyone come over to the house. Uh, my house is too small for it now, um, so um, either I need a bigger house or. <laughs> but um, I think the reality for us has been um, the the micro spaces have really been effective for people. Um, but large gatherings are great for celebrating like a family reunion. We treat them more like a celebration of what God has been doing as opposed to this is what's, what God is doing. Um, and I think it's just good for people to hear a public proclamation of the word and good, good teaching and preaching. Um, and while you're training elders up to do that, cause not everyone has that specific skill. It's good for people to, um, hear good exposition from the bible consistently however you can figure out how to do that and you know, even in a micro church model um it's important the proclamation of the gospel is important teaching people how to live important from is important from the word um this summer we're going on tour with something called saturate so we're going to be in kentucky pennsylvania florida um fort worth um which is the same as what we did out here and those are large um, I guess you could say awakening type gatherings where we're going to be training people, how to do multiple things, how to cast out demons, how to pray for people and heal the sick, how to make disciples, how to start a church in your home. So really it's, it's almost like gathering a remnant army together in order to send them out. So far less about the event itself, but.
0: So what are your current connections with people in those cities? You already must have some kind of base. Yeah.
2: We have some friends in Pennsylvania that we're working with that are with Calvary Chapel, um, up there. Um, so, um, Calvary Chapel, Delaware County. Um, and then, and he's got a big backyard that he's just going to let us take and run with it for a few days. Um, and then in Kentucky, we actually just rented a piece of land and it's going to be a, a camp meeting. So we rented 200 acres, um, and we're going to pitch tents and, pitch tents for different kinds of training where people sleep. Um, there's one house on site for our kids and us and a couple other team members, but everything else is going to be camping. It's going to be like Woodstock for Jesus. So we're, we're really, really excited about Kentucky. Um, and then in Fort Worth, we're going to be working with the church out there as well. So a lot of this is going to play out, I think after Kentucky, but really a lot of it is focused on helping local churches Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. At least that's my game on it. So it'll be fun, Parker. I I want to start a micro church. <laughs> Walk me through the steps. <laughs> Walk you through the steps. Well, um, I would say I would say the first step is fasting and prayer of anything that you're going to decide to do when it comes to any type of ministry, even if you're you know you already have a job. Um, and you're going to be vocational, which I think is pretty much the future um, of ministry in a lot of ways. But pray and fast, even if it's just for a few days. If you have a husband or a wife, really pray together and get on the same page and write down what the Lord is telling you about church. Look into the New Testament. Uh, that was the next step for us. It was what does Acts, acts really look like? What does the church really look like? And I'm not talking about size or where they meet. I'm like, what's the life of the church look like? And what does it produce? And are we producing that? And can we produce that? And are those our aims? You know what I mean? Are we aiming for an Acts 2 type church? Are we aiming for that? Um, And an Ephesians 4, 5 church, are are we aiming for that? Um, So uh, really dig into scripture because that's the church planting manual. Everyone has an idea of how to plant a church and there's all different kinds of angles to it. But until you realize that almost everyone is telling you how they did it, and God has a pattern in the Bible that he's going to show you, then I think you're up, you know, up a creek without a paddle, so to speak. You're going to be, you're going to be working against the way that God actually does things. So, so get in the word and don't leave it. I think what happened with me was I got stuck in the Gospels and Acts for six to eight months in 2016 and couldn't leave. I was like, what's happening here that's not happening in my life? Not happening in the life of of the church. So um go to the scripture and then get four or five people, really good people, or four or five couples that will do it with you. Start with a team. That's the biggest mistake we made when we came out here. I would have waited longer, I would have prayed longer, and I would have done it with people that were committed and on board from the beginning. Um, because we just did it by ourselves and and Jess and I are unique personalities and, and pioneers where it doesn't bother us that much. We had a lot of stress, but for most folks that say I want to start a church," doing it on your own or even on your own as a couple, is just going to add so much stress to your life. If you, you know, if you want a good marriage, if you want your kids to like you when you're done with ministry, like all those things, like, I'm just saying, like, like don't do it by yourself and, and set up, set up, overseers right off the bat. And I mean, biblical overseers that have been in ministry for 30 or 40 years um, that haven't embezzled money or slept with someone else's wife. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like over those 30 or 40 years, find those people um, and let them speak into you and, and be young in church planting, no matter what age you are. Um, give yourself permission to be young in a new thing. And I think that's been really important for me over this last year is taking that second seat or taking that lowest seat at the table and going, okay, like what I need to give myself permission again, to really learn this thing from people as much as I possibly can. I need to find men that are in their seventies, listen, and just listen and ask questions. Um, Mm -hmm because I was in my own space. I needed to be fathered in ministry. So uh, get those type of people in your space and then get a, get a vision for the locality, wherever you are. Don't, don't get stuck in the church, the one church you start in your house. You need to already be thinking, how are we going to multiply? What's the big vision? How do I tell people that come to this church that the idea is that most of them will be sent out to start their own churches as well. Not necessarily everyone's called to do that or should do that, but I think it's really important that from like the day one of our church, I was saying this church, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it apart. It's gonna be sent out. It's not gonna look the same six months from now. Um, and whether it was jolted or broken or we didn't do it right, at least I told them. You know what I mean. <laughs> At least, I was letting them know. Like, look, we're gonna we're gonna multiply, and it's gonna look different. You're gonna start your own family, because um, the way we th- think about it is like if a if a person comes to maturity in Christ, they really should start their own household in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, you shouldn't have a, you know forty year old you know son living in your house still, and you you paying him to do chores around the house. They should be out. establishing their own household and establishing their own name and doing it their own way. So, um, that's, those, those would be the big things, prayer and fasting, get in the word and don't leave it. Make sure you're on the same page with your, with your spouse. Um, and if you're single, making sure you're on the same page with a team of people that you're going to be doing it with, but get a team of people together, um, and do it together and commit to one another. Um, and the word covenant is a strong word for these days, but I think it's a word that is really biblical. and really important for us. It's like, are you so committed to one another that like what we started to see was paying each other's rent, um, making car payments when things got tough, um, providing groceries for people, um, you know, giving our baby stuff to each other. Cause we were the first to have kids. So now we're like pushing it all out the door. So it doesn't take up space and just, just little things like that where, you know, middle of the night phone calls where their marriage is in trouble and you got to open the door. It's like that's commitment to people. Um, that's commitment to feeding feeding sheep and taking care of people and staying away from the, the commercialized version of it. Not that that's the only thing we need to avoid, but we need good shepherds right now. And we need strong ones, ones that know how to kill lions and bears and ones that know had to pick up a sheet by the scruff of the neck and throw it back where it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. cause people are just desperate for fathering right now. So those are the, those are the big ones. It doesn't really matter where or how you start a microchurch. It just needs to be led by prayer and the word. Um, and it needs to start there and it needs to focus on mission. You can't just be us four no more. If you have a microchurch, that's not focused on mission. 10 20 people it'll get septic and backbiting starts you Mm -hmm. have to be at war together Mm -hmm. if you're at war together the bullets start flying you don't care what race or gender or um which is only two by the way just to clarify you have to clarify that these days or you know where they're from or what their background is or what their socioeconomic level is when you're at war together you're on the same page. You're in the same foxhole together. And it's like, well, I think so-and-so should do this. When the bullets start flying, it's not like you stop thinking about that. You start going, we need to kill these <laughs> people over there. <laughs> Those yeah. people are our problem. Let's stay focused on that. And then people that aren't focused on that, self-select out. Sure. And that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Giving people <laughs> an invitation and freedom to leave is probably one of the best things I've ever like changed in my heart. My entire I no longer try and manipulate people to stay in my church. I'm like, it's the best church in the world. I don't care if you leave, like go do your own thing. You're if you're called to something else, that's great. But yeah, I'm not going to do that
1: anymore. I can't believe that you tried to start on your own without a team at first, because I can tell you're a very, you're you're the classic profile of a Ralph Moore and a entrepreneurial machine. Cause Go back to scripture. Even Jesus started with a team and he was, and he's God, you know? So, but uh, thank you for your honesty. That was a (laughs) lot of stuff in there. That was great. Thank you. I appreciate you saying so. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Ralph, I like this guy. Yeah. I knew you would. I'm willing to come see you, Norman. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, you're like, you remind me of a young Ralph Moore. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, let's get off that subject.
2: Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. I really appreciate yeah, it. Is that. it okay. is a compliment,
0: and I take it as a compliment. <laughs> um, you know, I saw somebody else uh, came in with a question that I think I know the answer to, and it it leads me to a couple of other questions. They're they're asking, are your micro church leaders full time, or are they in the tent business? Um, yeah. yeah. I, and but mm-hmm. but following that. Um, I'd like to know a little bit about during COVID, particularly how are you using uh, utilizing technology in terms of uh, maintaining relationships and and you know supporting the ministry of others.
2: Okay, so um, which one would you like me to start with? with well, to start, let's
0: let's get the full time tent thing out of the okay. way
2: because I yeah. think. So I'm the only person that's support raised within our church. I support raised like a missionary. So I consider myself a missionary to America. I don't know if you guys noticed, we fought a culture war over the last 50 years. We lost. So we need revival. So the reality for me is I see myself as a foreigner in the United States working as a missionary. So I support raised to that effect. Um, So uh, that's my income now. Um, We were tent makers for the first couple of years. Um, until I got around to support raising um, and raising. I I have a team of about 40 or 50 amazing people that I stay in touch with that pay my salary personally. Um, But um, every single elder in our church is, um, is a tent maker, so to speak. Um, So they're in the workforce. Um, And most folks um, with good training can handle a church of about 15 to 20 people if they're doing discipleship correctly, because you're immediately giving people ownership and things to do within the church. So I would say someone with a job should only really be hands-on discipling two or three people themselves, um, and then disseminating the rest of it. Um, and when we start talking about support raising for a person is when they're starting to show, um, some leadership potential. So my, my thing is, and this actually comes from Chris Hodges, which is great. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't have the money to, um, to hire workers. He has, he can only hire leaders. Um, and so for us, we're like, well, if you start multiplying churches, like we've got a guy in Florida right now out in Lake city, he's already multiplied within six months. He's looking at doing it again. I'm like, within you know once you have five or six churches you're shepherding might need to look into support raising for your income and you can do that through our 501c3 um so that's a very simple answer but i think most people the elder churches will be bivocational permanently yeah and i think that's probably one of the best things that you can do for the health and the life of your church one of the best things some pastors if you got a smaller church out there and you're trying to figure out how to grow it probably one of the best things you could do is go out and get a job um because it kills all your busy work, and then you know your neighborhood. So,
0: Amen, boy. That is wonderful. I think <laughs> when we hear, you know, somebody in this question uh, throughout the word tent business, when when you look at real closely at the scripture, the person that you should look at is not Paul. Paul was there was a fallback to to be a tent maker. You you should look at Aquila and Priscilla, because these people are tent makers. They run the business Paul goes to work for. They yeah. do ministry, and we see them in three cities. In in as we read through the, the book of Acts and, and then toward the end of Romans, and people when people didn't move and it cost fortune to move right. or even to travel. Uh, yeah. These were people of means who did ministry. That's a better model than oh, I got to fall back and drive a school bus. If, yeah. if if I'm the pastor you just described, who you know maybe I, my gifts are such that. There's 40 people in the church that I have and I'm I'm really struggling, I probably really ought to think about I don't want to drive a school bus. I do want to find something I can do that can actually put bread on the table. Uh, One of the things that I know from Nepal is um, I have a friend there that's a real estate developer that has planted 165 churches he tries to, to outfit the guys he disciples because everything is done by disciple making and all the churches are small, but he'll, he'll, he'll like a uh, loan, a guy he has to pay for it. Uh, 12 goats. And you have to pay a dollar and a half a month for 10 years, interest-free to pay off the goats. But he goes, I want that guy to have a hundred goats before he's done. So the Hindus will respect him because he he's contributing to the economy of the culture. Right. And I think with pastors, a lot of times uh, we see oh, I'm so driven to do the ministry, my gifting isn't doesn't match what my aspirations are. Yeah. and I get some crummy little job rather yeah. than realizing I should really become a part of the culture here where I get to know people and and probably I'll prosper, but then the church will grow too. Uh, yeah.
2: So that, there's nothing wrong with a small church. One of the things that frustrates me about, you know, social media and the push for mega, it's and it's just a gripe of my own is the vertical comparison scale. It's like, and and when people compare themselves to Paul the Apostle, it's like, well, are they tent makers? And I'm like, well, (laughs) I'll start comparing myself to Paul the Apostle when I overturn an entire empire. Yeah. The preaching the gospel, you know what I mean? If that guy was humble enough to like intense were not cheap, then it wasn't, it was, it was a solid craft, like plumbing, right? Yeah. You can earn <laughs> six figures plumbing. So I think it's one of those things where we've gone from where pastors were sometimes the only person in the town that could read um, and the most learned person and, and, and important in the culture to you're, you're not important in the culture until you're important to the culture. Yeah. <laughs> You know, what I mean? It's different. It's different. America, America's changed, And hopefully we get back to a space like that where spiritual leaders are the real leaders of our communities. Again, um, Christ centered ones, not just spiritual people, but um, you get, you get what I'm saying. It's, it's shifted a lot. So,
0: so I got somebody who's asking how they could get a little bit more uh, in, information, particularly about the Saturate gatherings. It looks like, they're thinking they'd like to attend what you're doing. Uh, Phil, is that something you can share with us?
2: Yeah, saturateglobal.com, and all the all the dates are on there, so you can register for whatever one you want to go to. Saturateglobal.com,
0: and then if somebody wanted more information about Salt Churches, where do they go?
2: Saltchurches.com. Pretty simple. So, Yeah, we got we nailed it on that one. I can't believe we got that that name, (laughs) but we did. (laughs) We're on our Instagram as Salt Churches as well. So, and then our our uh, Instagram for Saturate is Saturate Global. So,
0: so Norman, you got more questions?
1: Well, we just got saw one come up on the screen here. Why don't we take that one, Ralph? What's that? Do you see microchurch members who move from one microchurch to another? Uh, is this less common than in established
2: churches? Your comment. Uh, yes, it's far less common because people know when you're not there. So there's not very much anonymity. Um, when a move happens, it's it's not a problem. You know what I mean? We're not like, there's no there's no real territory over people as much as I've experienced before in that I don't know if that would happen in a different microchurch network. It just doesn't really happen in ours. Um, But sure, people move if they have different needs in life. If, you know, my parents run a microchurch, they're in their 70s. We also have a church in Orange out here that's uh, run by a couple of 20-year-olds. So if a guy that's, you know, a guy that used to run a Calvary Chapel for 40 years went to my parents' church and then went to, went to orange. She'd be like, well, why don't you try my parents' church out and and see if that's a good fit for you. So stage of life kind of lines up a little bit, Mm. um, gives you a greater range. It's like, we don't, um, it's not a consumer driven model. It's discipleship driven. So we want people to stay where they're planted for as long as possible, but it doesn't really happen that much. And it's always a conversation. And it's always out in the open. It's like, we talk about tithing that way too, because of discipleship, it's like, we have relationships. So it's like, it's more like, why aren't you tithing? It's not like you don't have to like get around it. It's like, what's going on with your money? (laughs) Tell us about it.
1: (laughs) Hey, Parker, uh, you look vibrant, you know, you radiate energy on the screen. Uh, what's, here's a really simple question. What's been the biggest blessing in this journey for you and your family, your wife, your family? Um,
2: geez, man. We just, um, it's hard for me to say it. I don't want to like cry and scream, but um, we just started everything that we started because we're obsessed with Jesus. We didn't come out to start a church, and we were just obsessed with Him, who He is, and what He's done. Wow. Um, and the greatest blessing for us, and it truly is, and I don't say this in a religious way, um, you know, in the way that the term is used now. Um, I don't say this in a, in a plastic way. Um, I really find the more that we get into this, the more that I'm drawn to just be with him. And mm. I think the greatest blessing Beautiful. has been realizing that I'm incapable of Instigating revival and reformation through micro churches, but he wants to show himself strong on our behalf um, and prove himself to be strong on our behalf and on behalf of the church universal. So, the greatest blessing for me has just been getting to know how he and the Holy Spirit and the Father work in conjunction and perfectly to do this weird thing called the church that makes no sense on this planet. And when you look at it, it doesn't make any sense, but that's why it makes sense. (laughs) So it's like, it's been Jesus. It really, there's nothing, there's nothing we want. And we're willing in two seconds. And we talk about this every day. We're actually renovating our trailer right now, just in case we have to drop everything. Um, We have a little travel trailer, but we're willing to, I don't care about salt. I don't care about saturate. We care about Jesus and his name and the gospel. And that's been the biggest blessing by far. We'll, we'll, we'll give away everything at this point. And it's not a joke. We've given away cars. We've given away stuff. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not a question anymore. So I'm realizing that it's an all in season or not at all. Really?
1: Yeah. The model is second to a love affair with the master. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So that's it.
0: <laughs> I guess it's about time that we land this plane. If you're listening, uh, remember to go to saltchurches.com and to saturate.com. Is that right? Saturate.com. I got it right. Uh,
2: Saturate Global. Sorry.
0: SaturateGlobal.com. And, uh, and you can connect with Parker. If you. Are getting some out of this, you might want to refer your friends to the Exponential Hub because there's a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. And it's actually expanding in the next few months. And so uh, good things are happening. I want to get a little lick in here for a book that I wrote that's free on the Exponential website. It's called Mega Multi-Micro. Uh, the whole premise huh. of the book is what, what Parker just said. We've been in the culture wars for the last 50 years and we lost while we were trying to do mega church, and then we went to multi sites, and that didn't get the job done, and so now we're looking at micro as we face the future. And so that's a freebie. You can go there. There's a hundred plus books there that are free, and uh, one of the best things that I got going in my relationships. I got guys in 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 Mongolia that are downloading uh, exponential books and using them to make disciples. So take advantage of what's there for you, and we'll see you next time.